Lord, we come to you in this time. We give you thanks. We give you praise that you are with us. We thank you for your scripture that teaches us and guides us, instructs us, and leads us all the more to you. We ask for your blessing upon us in this time as we reflect upon your word. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm holding here what is called the, well, I should, I can put it up here too. The Eco-Polity and Discipline. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? This is like in the, uh, USA Today's top ten reading, I think. Um, this is actually what's called our Book of Order, our rules and our laws for our denomination. It's not as thick as the Book of Order from the former denomination we're part of, the PCUSA. It's 26 pages long, but it's long enough to include a lot of rules and guides and information about how our denomination, how our church should be structured and function. Now, I don't know if any of you have read this. I'm sure that there's a lot of people in our denomination, maybe even elders and ministers that have not read this. I've actually read it. I don't know it thoroughly, but I have read it. But, you know, it's interesting that usually we don't read manuals or books filled with laws and rules, do we? Why is that? Why do we not read about rules and laws? Well, maybe we just don't think they're important enough, or maybe they're just, we get kind of uh, overwhelmed by them, or we feel they're too restrictive, or maybe they're, we feel that they're just silly, that they shouldn't be there. I want to read for you a few uh, laws that are still on the books in some states. You know, laws just, once they go on, they, sometimes they just never disappear. And I think you're going to find these are a little bit silly. In North Carolina, the law says that bingo games cannot last longer than five hours. In Quitman, Georgia, chickens are not allowed to cross the road. They have to go to a class, I think, and make sure that they understand that, right? In Texas, it is illegal to sell your eyeballs. Now, I don't know why you need a law to discourage people from that, but obviously at some point they did. In Rhode Island, you may not sell toothpaste and a toothbrush to the same customer on Sunday. (laughs) And in Minneapolis, Minnesota, red cars may not drive down Lake Street. I mean, you look at these laws and you say, why? What, What happened that created these laws, right? They just seem so outrageous, so silly. They don't make sense why they should exist. And sometimes we look at our laws today and we think that, don't we? Laws that are not supposed to be silly, we think they are silly, right? For example, you're not supposed to text while you drive, right? But I know people think that law is silly. Why? Because people do it all the time, right? (laughs) Raise your hand if you've seen someone texting while driving. I won't ask you if you text while you drive. (laughs) Another law, right? The speed limit. People think the speed limit is silly. Why? Because they don't follow the speed limit, do they? You're driving the speed limit, right? I know all you drive the speed limit, right? So you're driving the speed limit, and what's happening around you? Cars are whizzing all by you, right? Because no one but you is driving the speed limit, right? And so we have these rules. We have these laws. They're supposed to keep us safe, right? We're supposed to follow them so that we are safe when we're doing what we're supposed to do. This morning, we're in chapter 21. We're going to talk about Ezra, 
who is a priest, and Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer, uh, uh, an official in the king's court. This is actually the last chapter in the book, the story, um, before in the Old Testament. So it's our last Old Testament chapter, and the next week we'll be getting into the New Testament. Now remember, at Christmas, we already did chapter 22 about Jesus' birth. So next week, you'll be reading chapter 23, and we'll be talking about Jesus' ministry. So today, we're going to talk about Ezra and Nehemiah, and we're going to talk about um, what they have to share to us about the law of God, and why the law of God is important, and yet also why the law of God actually comes up short a little bit as well. So, we have finished the... Uh, remember, uh, the, the Jews were taken from Babylon back to Jerusalem. They finally rebuilt the temple. And then we had some Jews that were taken to Persia, and so we talked about the story of Esther, remember that. And so now we get to the place, there's still some Jews in, in Babylon. And Ezra is one of those Jews, and he hears about, he hears about God's people. They've built the temple, rebuilt the temple, but they haven't rebuilt the walls. And even more, he hears that they are not living up to the law of God. Remember, the whole purpose of the temple was for them to go to the temple so that they could hear the law of God, so that they could live for God, right? And Ezra hears that they are not doing this, and he is very disturbed. He is very grieved by the fact that they're not living up to the law, because why? That means that they are not living as God is calling them to live. They are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They are not following God, and that grieves Ezra's heart. Ezra knows that not only should the people know the law, but they need to follow the law, and it isn't beneficial. We're told that the hand of God is on Ezra, and that Ezra has prepared his heart to not only follow the, the law of the Lord, but to come to the people and to teach them of the law, okay? Now, that's a big thing because, like I said before, not everyone likes to read about the laws of God, right? And so not only do, does he read it, but he loves it, and he wants to teach it in a way that others will love it as well because he believes that if you love the law of God and you live according to the law of God, then you will be blessed by God, and you will live the life that God has for you to live. And so, Ezra 7, 10, and when you ever see an underlined part, please read it with me. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. In the book of James, we're told in chapter 1, verses 23 to 24, James says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, here's a question for you. If I asked you to describe a lot of your physical aspects of your body, I mean, you look at yourself in the mirror all the time, right? Would you be able to do a good job of describing your physical being, right? We look at ourselves, but can we remember? Do you remember where that mole is? Or, you know, what side do you part your hair? And like all these little details about your body. Some people might have difficulty doing that, even though you look at yourself in the mirror all the time. James says, just like that, so often are we with the law of God. We hear the law of God over and over and over and over again. We hear it, 
but we do not do it. We hear it and then we go away and we forget it. And James says, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. We might know it, but we don't readily practice it. And this is what was going on with the people. And this is what Ezra was so frustrated about, so grieved over, that the people knew the law of God. They had heard it over and over and over again, but they weren't following it. Now, why does this happen? Well, it happens maybe because we get busy, right? And we we don't think about doing what God tells us to do. Or maybe other things in our life become more important than the law of God for us. Or maybe we just are trying to do the best we can and we just aren't living up to the standard we know we're supposed to live up to. Or the teaching of the Bible is too challenging for us and we just say, you know, I tried it, but it's too difficult, I can't do it, so I'm just setting it aside. Or the world around us seems too attractive and we'd rather live according to what the world says we should do as opposed to what God tells us to do. We might listen to the word of God for a time, but then we go away and we forget it and we don't carry it out. We become hearers, but not doers. Have you ever heard of AAADD? It stands for Age-Activated Attention Deficit Order. Disorder, sorry. And this is how it works, okay? I'm going to go wash my car. So I grab my car keys and I start to walk towards the garage to get the supplies. And I see the table. And on the table, there's some bills. And so I look at the bills and I go, oh, man, I really need to pay these bills. I mean, I really need to pay these bills. And so I grab my checkbook and I say, oh, there's only one check in it. That's not enough. And so I walk towards the desk where my checks are so I can get more checks. But on the way there, I see my Coke can that I've been drinking. And I don't want my Coke anymore, but I don't want it to get warm. So I say, oh, I better put that back in the refrigerator. So I grab my Coke can and I start to walk to the kitchen. And there, out of the corner of my eye, I see my glasses. Oh, my glasses. I've been looking for my glasses all day. I better put them back in my case so that I can remember them next time. And so as I grab my glasses and I turn, and then I see the flowers. Oh, my gosh, I haven't watered the flowers in days. I need to water flowers. And so I go, I need to go to the kitchen to get the pitcher so I can get water, right? So I start to walk to the kitchen, and then I see the remote control. Oh, someone left the remote control here, and we need to back in the living room, or we'll forget it. We won't know where it is when we need it, right? And on and on and on, my day goes like that. And at the end of the day, my car isn't washed. The bills aren't paid. There's still only one check in my checkbook. The flowers haven't got washed. I don't know where my glasses are. The remote control is still in the kitchen. The Coke can never made it to the, the refrigerator, right? And where are my car keys? I can't find them. This is a serious problem. I need to get help for this. But first, I'm going to go check my emails. <laughs> you ever had a day like that? Hopefully not that bad. But doesn't that happen sometimes to us, right? Some of you probably more than others, right? You're like shaking your head like, that happens to me all the time. Right? I'm sitting in my office. I start to do some work, right? Next thing you know, some catching my eye. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, well, there's my guitar. I haven't played my guitar for a while, right? And next thing you know, you're like, whoa, stop. I need to get something done here. It's actually not an age thing. 
really. It's actually a focus problem, isn't it? It is a focus problem. It is a distraction problem. And this is what happens to us all the time spiritually, right? We want to be more loving. We say, I'm going to be more loving. And we're driving down the road and someone cuts us off and, oh, well, so much for loving, right? <laughs> and then the kids are fighting in the back and your phone rings and somebody has a problem. Next thing you know, being loving, being more loving has gone out the door, right? Or you say, you know, I really like what Pastor Chris preached on in the sermon last week, but, you know, I don't fully remember it. So you go to your bulletin, you pull out your bulletin outline, which you wrote really good notes last week, right? And so you look at your outline and you start to say, oh, Pastor Chris talked about Esther and, and Mordecai and about how God has a plan for us and has time and brings people in our lives and how we need to trust God and we need to pray and ask God to work in and through our lives. And so you say, oh, I really want to do this. But then your week is challenging and the finances are tight and, and the, the pressures are, are upon you and you forget to trust God. And your time is squeezed out and you have no extra time for prayer. See, it's a focus problem, a distraction problem. We want to do something, but then we get distracted. And the next thing you know, we're not being that loving person that we wanted to be. We're not being more trusting in God. We're not praying more like we said we wanted to do because we get distracted by all the other things in life. Again, James 1, 23 to 24. Read that underline with me. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The law, the law is not always well liked because it can cause us to think about we're being told what to do and we don't like to be told what to do, do we? We want freedom. We want to be able to make our own choices. We feel restricted, or we feel like the laws that are imposed upon us are ridiculous or, or silly, or, or we rationalize them away and say, that's not for me. That's not the way I want to live. And we don't feel like it's relevant to us. See, this is the challenge that Ezra faced, and he was determined to get the people to not only know the law, but to love the law. This was his commitment, and the hand of God was on him. And so King Artaxerxes allowed Ezra to leave Babylon to go back to Jerusalem so that he could teach the law to the people. And Artaxerxes even said, well, why don't you set up judges so that when the people don't live up to the law, then there can be some repercussions. You know, isn't that interesting that we need to have punishment kind of over us? to help us keep the law, right? I said this before, if you were driving along and there was a red light and you knew that you would not get a ticket, there would be no fine, there would be no, nothing wrong, you would just right, drive right through that red light, wouldn't you? We need that threat of punishment kind of hanging over us to keep us on the straight and narrow. And so, King Artaxerxes says, why don't you set up judges? Have some punishment for people when they don't keep the law, maybe to encourage them a little bit more to follow the law. And when Ezra returned to see that things were not good, he tore his clothes in grief. 
This is how passionate he was about God's law. And when the people saw him tear his clothes, when the people saw him grieving over their behavior, you know what it did? It caused them to repent of their sin and to realize that they had been doing wrong and caused them to say, we need to get right with God again. Well, at the same time, uh, Nehemiah comes into the picture Nehemiah is a cupbearer in the king's court. It's a very important uh, position. It required the highest clearance to have this position. And like Ezra, Nehemiah was concerned for the people, and he grieved over the news of the poor behavior of God's people. But Nehemiah was a great intercessory prayer. He loved to pray, and so he prays this prayer in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Isn't that neat? He's painting a picture of who God is. Why does God give us his law? Because he gives us a covenant because he loves us and wants us to love him. And he knows that the law will help to lead us in that right way that will keep us focused on loving God and keep his commandments. Read with me. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. See the fervency of his prayer. Day and night he's praying. He's praying for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. You know, what it really takes is for us to humble our hearts and realize, I've sinned, I've done wrong. I I haven't lived up to the law. I haven't done what I've done. Even Nehemiah, who who was so steadfast in his love and faithfulness to the Lord, he understood that he had sinned as well. And he's praying for his people. He's praying for his people that they might get right, that God would receive his people if they turn back to him. Be a gracious and loving God so that if we turn back to you, you will receive us, Lord. Nehemiah knew that the temple had been rebuilt, but that the walls had not been rebuilt. And now that was significant for two reasons. First of all, you know, without the walls around Jerusalem, they were not safe from their enemies, right? But the second reason why it was important, because God's command to them, the task that they had been set to do was to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. It was a twofold covenant, right? And they had only rebuilt the temple, but then they got caught up in their own lives And they said, you know what, it's more important that we just do our own thing. And they didn't fulfill the second part of the task. They had forgotten about the collective. They had forgotten about the community of faith. They had forgotten how important it is for us to join together and do things together as God's people. And they had gotten caught up in their own life and they had forgotten to be the people of God. And so Nehemiah understands this that they needed to join together again to rebuild the walls. So after deep prayer, Nehemiah gets permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem. And as he's going back, he sees the priests and the nobles and the officials and all the rest of the people that are supposed to do the work. And and Nehemiah, one thing you've got to love about Nehemiah, he's an amazing encourager. And he gives them this charge. You can just imagine, you know, this leader standing up in front of all these people, giving them a charge, right, to try to get them excited again to do the work that God's called them to do. And so he says in chapter 2, 
You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah gives this rousing charge to the people, and he reminds them, this is what we've been called to do. This is the task we've been given. We need to do this. This is such an amazing opportunity for us as the people of God to join together and to do this. And I want to let you know what God has done for me. And he told them about God's grace and love and blessing on his own life. And isn't that what we've been told that we should be doing, right? When we talk to people about Jesus, when we talk to people about our faith, tell your story. What is God doing in your life? How has God impacted you? How has God transformed you? What has made your life better because you know Jesus? Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And when he did that, they got all excited, and they said, let us rise up and build. And they did. They built the walls of Jerusalem together. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah wanted to rebuild the walls. And, of course, like any of us, when you want to honor God and give thanks to God, you, you read the law of the Lord, right? Isn't that what you do? Yay, God, let me read your law more, right? Well, that's what they did. They, they, they read the law of the Lord. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Amen. Now, we may not think that the law of the Lord is exciting. We may not go to the law of the Lord all the time and say, you know, for my exciting reading today, I'm going to read the law of the Lord. We may not do that, but the law of the Lord has great impact on our lives when we read it and we understand it. And we realize that the law of the Lord leads people to the Lord. It reminds us to worship and praise the Lord. It reminds us how God provides for us and protects us. The law of God is important for us as well. To lead us to the Lord. But one thing, one more thing I want to talk about is that even though the law of the Lord is important, the law of the Lord does not save us. Does not save us. Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. See, meaning that we cannot fully live up to the law, and we cannot do perfectly everything that the law tells us to do. And so therefore, because we cannot do that, the law does not save us. The law cannot save us. The law cannot bring us to salvation. Only in Jesus Christ do we have salvation because we cannot do it on our own. James 2.10 says, Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on one point, he has become guilty of all. To be a keeper of the law, you have to keep the whole law all the time. And if you even break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. 
And so therefore, we understand that we cannot fully live up to the standards that God sets for us. God tells us to be holy, and to be holy, you have to perfectly live out the law, and we can't do that. So what are we to do? Well, we're to understand that the law does have its benefits. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The law of the Lord can remind you of those important aspects of the life that God has given us, the, the way that God wants us to live. The law can do that for us. The law leads us to understand that we cannot be saved on our own and that we need a Savior because we cannot fulfill the law fully. And so the Apostle Paul goes on. Read with me. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. See, because of our wrongdoing, because of our transgressions, the law is there to show us where we fall short. Until the offspring should come, the offspring referring to Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Justified by faith, not by works. We're told in the Old Testament, right, that the covenant was given to Abraham. And the Ten Commandments, the foundation of the law, was given to Abraham. But we are told that even Abraham was not saved by the law. It was faith that saved Abraham. Abraham was made righteous by faith. So it is actually the law that leads us to freedom because it leads us to Christ who saves us from our shortcomings, who saves us from our sin. And the law helps us to understand how we to live, but when we fall short, we understand that Christ takes us that extra step. Christ gives us that example of how we are to live, but Christ gives us the salvation that we cannot gain on our own. A father was reading a magazine, and he was really focused on his magazine, but then his little daughter came along, and she saw that on the page next to one of the parts of his article, there's the, a map of the United States. And so she started asking her father questions about the United States, and she really wanted to know more and more. But the father wanted to read his article. So he rips out the page, and he tears it into little pieces, and he gives it to his daughter, and he says, why don't you go ahead and go put this together, and once you get the map of the United States all together, we'll talk about it. And he thought, oh, I have some free time here for a moment. And so she went off into another room, and he went back to reading his article. And within a couple minutes, she was back. And she had the United States all put together. And he said, how did you do that? And she said, well, on the other side of the map was a picture of Jesus. And once I got Jesus back together the way he belonged, then the map came together. <laughs> wow. Pretty interesting. This is a great example about how the law and Jesus fit together. You can follow the law without love. You can follow the law without compassion. You can follow the law without being a given person. You can follow the law without any care and concern for others. Jesus helps us to understand what it really means to love and to forgive and to care for others and to really be the child of God that God wants us 
to be. Jesus teaches us what to do and how to live and takes us that extra step where the law falls short. Ezra knew that living for God with love and faithfulness was important, and for him, the law drew him to God and to understand how God loves us by giving us his laws and how God loves us by calling us to live a good and right life. How God calls us to be faithful by the, by the effort we put towards living up to the law, right? Even though we can't live it perfectly, we know that there, these, the law helps to guide us. And when we show our faithfulness to God, then we have that life that God wants us to have. Again, remember, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. We shouldn't see the law as something of a burden Burden them rules. Remember the Pharisees? They were the keepers of the law, weren't they? But they made it in such a way that it was a burden to the people. And it actually led people away from God instead of toward God. Ezra and Nehemiah held a law in their hearts. And they loved it in such a way that caused the people to love it as well. They taught it in a way that helped the people to see how important it was for guiding us in our life. But we need to remember that the law cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. The law leads us to Jesus and helps us to see I can't save myself, but only Jesus can save me. While rebuilding the walls was important, as, as important as be rebuilding the walls was the community that was experienced in doing that task. And after they experienced that task, they sat together and Ezra and Nehemiah read the law to them and they gathered together as the people of God, as the community of faith, and they understood that God is with us. And we are to be his faithful people. May we find our task together to do as the community of faith. May we let the law help guide us into living the kind of life God calls us to live. But may we seek out and receive Jesus all the more so that we are not only saved, but are filled with the Spirit of God to live the life God has for us to live. Let us pray.